I get to ask the best question ever. Is it cake? Is it cake? <laughs> is it cake? <laughs> is this That show is so funny when that guy was like, the most important thing when creating a taco shell that looks realistic is the texture. <laughs> oh, really? What an insight. Cake-like. Now, Naomi, why Please. did you think this one was indeed cake? <laughs> yeah, one guy was just like, it looked cake-ish. And it was like, that's the end of the discussion here. This doesn't here. need to be a show. Like, this concept is great as like a 20-second video. Yeah, it was on social great. media. It was like it's like show me the thing and then surprise me by cutting into it and revealing its cake. I don't yeah. need a thirty-minute talk. I know show some about other it. things you could stick a machete into <laughs> that'll make me watch. <laughs> you guys, we're talking about Netflix today. We are talking about Netflix. Welcome back to Cargo Call. I'm Naomi Caravani, and I'm Michelle Greenstein. Netflix is opening a restaurant. Netflix is opening a restaurant. Sorry, um, I'm your new server. I'll be taking over your table since your last server, Carrie, was shit-canned. You don't even really have the choice to order a dish. In fact, our algorithm has decided what you're most likely to enjoy. Which you will have to discover is cake. It's just all cake. (laughs) (laughs) This hamburger, really cake. Netflix is opening a pop-up restaurant in LA called Netflix Bites. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have food from famous tv chefs basically people from iron chef from chef's table which i don't do you know what chef's table is uh a show i'm guessing it's a netflix original (laughs) it's a netflix um this media tech company is getting into the culinary space and they're calling it netflix bites since you're totally complicit in the terms and conditions everything that you eat and excrete in the restaurant will be <laughs> owned proprietary by netflix. information <laughs> it doesn't it's not yours anymore i think a, a restaurant could benefit from that information like if everybody's getting diarrhea that day right you know we need to pump up the fiber oh also just want to let everyone know that naomi is drinking pedialyte right now or what is that is that an off-brand pedialyte Electrolyte. Electrolyte. It tastes like Gatorade. Sodium lactate, potassium chloride, magnesium chloride, calcium chloride, citric acid salt. Yellow number five. <laughs> no thanks. You draw the line at yellow number five? No. What about I'm yellow dr- number four? I'm drawing the line at that amalgamation. Okay, so Netflix Bites is another attempt by the streaming company to marry its content with immersive, one-of-a-kind Fan experiences. A long list of culinary legends will serve up dishes at the limited pop-up shop. Yeah, well, it's good that they're getting into a business that what has like an 80% failure rate. <laughs> what, restaurants? So, uh, yeah, restaurants. Just pumping money into something just for the hell of it. When they're not paying their writers, and if you notice the writer's strike, favorite company to make fun of and to target is netflix you know the parade of writers with their little funny signs outside of netflix headquarters that's the most popular place to protest yeah they really um the new york times even read a headline in may um called the striking writers find their villain netflix and they want uh, some assurance that ai won't be used because again ai is just copying a million things and so writers work will be copied and then made into ai productions but netflix did just do an event yes a live streaming event yesterday ta-da 
to like announce all the their forthcoming series and like none of those series are happening right yeah. now they're just like lily collins was like guess what and emily in paris season four i'm going to italy and while emily's heart will always remain true to paris her life takes some unexpected twists this season don't be surprised to find her on a roman holiday Shame on Lily Collins for crossing the picket line. Um, but yeah, so executive pay packages got rejected by the Netflix board recently oh, because... Oh no, poor Ted. I know. Poor Ted Sarandos. Poor Ted Sarandos. He had to cancel his gala events. Because- Netflix proposed executive pay packages for 2023 included up to $40 million for Sarandos. Um, and then there's also Greg Peters who could have gotten up to $34.6 million. So Netflix shareholders voted and they were like, no, maybe not the right time to do all that uh, given this writer's strike. Another reason that the writers really have their eye on Netflix is because Netflix did pioneer kind of the streaming way of delivering content to people through the internet. And with streaming, residual payments are not just based on the number of times an episode is viewed anymore like it used to be when we were just Mm -hmm. talking about broadcast TV. But now there's sometimes a fixed annual fee that just takes into account the number of subscribers that a platform has and... The writers are saying that's not fair. That's uh, and it's also like they're all. like, what are they counting as a view? It's like one point eight seconds. So it's like you can't get paid for that. Is it one point eight seconds? I think yeah, I saw yeah. that it's like one point eight seconds. So it's basically like yeah. the when they're a showing click. you the trailers, not even a click. You hover. You hover. Oh, the hover counts as a view. I think so. No we way. don't know. Netflix famously for many years kept its data close to its chest. So when did they start reporting data? 2021, I want to say, because I'm picturing the office I was in at the time, but let me look it up. Yes, 2021. Netflix begins reporting viewer numbers for its biggest hits. I'm reading it. So ever since Netflix leapt into original content with House of Cards in 2013, the company has largely kept hidden just how popular any given program was. Netflix doesn't run ads, so the company doesn't need to report ratings to attract brands in the way that broadcast and cable TV does. Previously, Netflix had reported how many subscribers watched the first two minutes of a program. Traditional television ratings, typically provided by Nielsen, measure viewership during an average minute of a show. Box office sales and Nielsen TV ratings, the traditional gauge of success in Hollywood, do not apply to Netflix, making it harder to determine what success means in streaming. Often, Mm -hmm. even the actors and producers involved would not know how popular their movie was, a source of frustration for the entertainment industry. And then when they're reporting subscriber growth also, they've been you know reporting about millions of people have signed up this year and blah blah blah. well they're counting people in southeast asia mostly and those are like three four dollar subscriptions so that it's not even real money that's coming back in yeah i feel like nothing's really that good on netflix anymore i used to Uh, netflix and chill all the time and now i hbo and chill now when you know i sit down with my boyfriend and watch netflix it's like I immediately get tense and I'm like, oh, we're going to we're going to fight about something. And, you know, he just wants to pull up like some true crime documentary, something about a massacre. And I'm like, I'm not really feeling massacre. I'm not feeling massacre vibes. Right like, now. I'm not feeling like a massacre tonight. Maybe Chinese. Yeah. <laughs> Want to do Thai? 
it's just so frustrating to find something. There's all these like very yeah low grade documentaries. The Arnold Schwarzenegger doc that just came out. It's very limited. It's not at all critical of him. It's just like yeah. glorifying him. This isn't unique to Netflix, but like any big media operation based in the U.S. is going to be kind of propaganda y. Like they had that Netflix documentary about Epstein, and I think it was called Filthy Rich. And like it was based on a book by like one, a close associate of Bill Clinton, and it's like Bill Clinton was, was on the right. That's <laughs> like, is this the really the story we want to tell? But like the Epstein story was painted in a way where it's just like, oh, this one rich financier, he was so rich and definitely wasn't connected to any larger network that anyone should start investigating. Mm-hmm. No he was ways. just this one weirdo who loved to have sex with kids and collect a library of videotapes but yeah did you see the arnold schwarzenegger thing or you just heard about no, it no yeah just people are talking about it i saw some articles about it but i will say i i did watch something on netflix recently that i actually liked and i was really surprised how much i liked it it's called beef it's mm-hmm. like a comedy i guess yeah, um yeah, really good long. um I couldn't get into it yeah well you're not Asian. Yeah. I watched it as a political statement. I didn't even enjoy it. Yeah. I just had to I just had to tell the algorithm that it was being played all the way. I actually had it on mute. Just it's like Asians not being Asian. That's what it's about. What do you mean? <laughs> just not living up to stereotypes or things. You wanted them to be like a sushi chef. <laughs> no. You're like, I'll get into it if he's a kung fu master. If yeah, if the kid, if the one year old kid is like doing multiplication tables and I'm there. But yeah, then there's also all, all that dumb shit. Like there's the documentary about the Hype House, which is the TikTok content house. Hype House belongs on TikTok. Like we don't need a Netflix documentary about it. Yeah. It's the whole idea is that people will come if celebrities are there. Right. You don't need you don't need to have good content. You just need to have faces people recognize. Right. And at this stage, like now that almost everyone and their mother has a Netflix account a netflix account it's like what are you gonna do leave like they know we're not leaving even though it's bad we're not leaving there's another documentary on netflix that glorifies one of our favorite american tech billionaires bill gates and then there's like obama the uh docuseries entitled working where he follows an uber like uber eats employee and it's like (laughs) you realize that you were like employing uber execs and like all these tech companies that transformed labor into having these gig economy jobs but see how hard they worked and you feel bad for them and it's like he's just like doing some kind of weird performative penance i mean susan rice who worked under obama was the head of the national security council left netflix's board recently to join the biden administration of course biden needs to know is it cake (laughs) But yeah, have you been affected by the password crackdown? I don't know. It's not happening. My I have my boyfriend's family's account. I have my ex-boyfriend's family's account. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? No, I'm it's I like don't. an extended family of, <laughs> yeah. of ex-girlfriends. Yeah. And no, yeah. actually for years I shared a Netflix account with like my best friend. And then she slowly started adding her friends onto it, like people I didn't know. And I I don't like the vibe. But the cost here. for me like went down. But like every every few months I would log on and like see a new profile. <laughs> Who the fuck is Stacy? <laughs> <laughs> but now I have my exes. But we shared it, so you know. It's only right that you keep custody of the Netflix. That's account. what I'm saying. I mean, I'm not paying for it. Yeah. But I paid but in other ways. Remember in 2017 when Netflix tweeted, Love is sharing a password. Now what's um, love? Yeah. Is it cake? <laughs> 
So we didn't even explain this, but Netflix has this amazing, groundbreaking, spectacular, never been done before <clears throat> game show called Is It Cake? Where people cut into various objects to find out if sometimes they are Sometimes they're purses, cake. sometimes they're bacon, egg, and cheeses. Right. Sometimes they're cans of Coke, sometimes they're couches. Yeah. But what I, here's my thing. Uh-oh. It should be called Is It Fondant? Because it's Fondant. not impressive. Oh, really? I, I mean, I guess people in America would say fondant. Anyway, I've never said this before. I've <laughs> <laughs> only ever seen it written. Fondant. But it might as well be a show about Play-Doh. Yeah. Or like creating things out of clay or like just, you know what I'm saying? Because the actual cake, when they cut into it, there's like a sometimes four inch layer of fondant between the cake and the exterior. And that's what's like and moldable that's what's creating and shapeable the and that's what's creating the taco texture. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what's creating the illusion and that's what's impressive. And it's like the cake is almost tertiary. You bake a cake and then you cover it in fondant and make the fondant whatever shape you want. And Michelle you needs paint to be the a fondant contestant. and it's like it has nothing to do with cake anymore. So anyway, Way I to get take it. Though. The fun out of is it cake? I like that he uses a machete. Well, yeah, because it's fucking thick fondant. If it were cake, <laughs> yeah. you could use a bread knife. It's it's hard to find something that you like on Netflix. I did watch one of the most expensive movies, The Gray Man, starring Ryan Gosling about a CIA agent who goes rogue in a corrupt CIA situation where assassins are sent after him. And at one point, like he's on the phone with the person leading his assassins and he's like, I want you dead. And it's like so like explicit you're like don't you want to dance around that a little bit <laughs> you want to make an omelet you got to kill some people it's like it's made like, for 10 year olds <laughs> it's made for 10 year olds but they're like obviously most of the budget went to, went to just getting stars on the movie and that's mm. what netflix is really spending its money on now because it's like tightening the belt a little bit yeah and also it's like a lot of what netflix calls success is like someone clicked on a title once that happens, it's like, who cares if they actually enjoyed it? So Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings, pretty interesting character. We think of ourselves like alchemists. We take in money and out comes joy. <laughs> Reed Hastings, like really, he's one of those billionaires. That... But he's a Democrat. Therefore what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Therefore, he takes um, Susan Rice as opposed to Mike Pompeo onto his board. But um. Yeah, Reed Hastings is like one of those quote unquote philanthropists, one of those like corporate millionaires who really want to shape the minds of, of children. Um, he has lobbied heavily for the overthrow of publicly elected school boards to be replaced by private charter councils. Mm -hmm. And some would say that Netflix is monopoly, but Reed Hastings would say local schools are monopolies. <laughs> I love this hot take of his. And yeah, Reed Hastings basically loves to pour his money into charter schools. So there are Netflix academies out there basically fund funded by Reed Hastings. Aspire are they... charter schools are heavily funded by Hastings. They exist in Louisiana and in California and in Tennessee and in Louisiana in particular, like 80% of public schools have been charter schools. Aspire is the name of the company? Aspire is the name of the Charter Network. Has uh, anyone been able to watch season two of House of Cards yet? Okay. So politics is a tough business. There's no question about it. Compared to what we see in House of Cards, the, the life that we live is not as difficult. Let's keep that in perspective. All of you 
are warriors every day as leaders of charter schools, teachers of charter schools, advocates for charter schools. In contrast, my life's incredibly easy. When you think about it, I go to some board meetings, I write some checks, people are nice to me. I mean, it's very, very easy, I gotta tell you. Um, and so Reed Hastings say, says, protections for teachers are a natural outcome of a local monopoly, meaning the school board. <laughs> Wait, so, so he doesn't want protections he for teachers? He does not want protections for teachers. He's, he does not want tenure for teachers. Oh. And he's like, Louisiana is like the ideal place to operate because um, the the teachers union in Louisiana is pretty weak and mm. teachers already don't have tenure. So it's an it was an ideal place to just inject charter schools into. I think my favorite fact about Reed Hastings, though, is that he once wanted to create a computer mouse, but for your foot instead yeah. of your hand. <laughs> he got to start. You know, he was really uh, just a transformative genius. <laughs> yeah, the, the foot mouse never took off. I guess it's good if you don't have any hands. <laughs> yeah, inclusive king. Yeah, and then he went on to do like some kind of debugging software. And then got into Netflix. He was so he was already a millionaire by the time he created Netflix. Yeah, he was. So Hastings got his master's in computer science from Stanford. He founded a company called Pure Software, which eventually merged with a company called Atria. And that merger made him the president and CEO of Pure Atria, the new company. Pure Atria was eventually bought by Rational Software. And that acquisition is what made Reed Hastings a millionaire. In fact, he seeded Netflix up with some of this money. The other co-founder of Netflix is named Mark Randolph. He's actually descended directly from Edward Bernays. He's his nephew or great nephew or something, often referred to as the father of PR, the father of public relations. Mark had his early career in the mail order division of this company. I forget the name of the company, sorry. That's actually not important. The point is, is that he learned a lot about the mail order business and he actually started to redesign this company's approach and make it more effective and efficient. Mm, those are synonyms, so I'll just say more <laughs> effective. And then he also designed their computer processing software when the company decided to switch into the digital world when they moved to computers. So he learned a lot about the mail order business, which makes a lot of sense because remember Netflix started as a DVD mail order business uh, before it became mm -hmm. the streaming giant that it is today. Yeah, and I also... used to subscribe to the DVD mail order business. Did you really? I am that old. Damn, she's um... really showing her age right now. <laughs> but yeah, I would get all of these cool French films, but they Ooh. recently shut it down. Come September 29th, Netflix will finally end its DVD-by-mail business. Now it's going to become harder and harder to get a foreign film or something a little bit more obscure or old because a lot of these streaming services kind of trim down their libraries. And the DVD business was one of the only ways to get it. Now you, you'll have to buy the DVD. You'll right. go. So now we've gone so far we've engineered ourselves into a place where we have to go back to the 90s where we're like buying DVDs or renting them. Yeah. Although, I mean, like, yeah, you can buy them, but now you're buying them on Amazon as opposed mm -hmm. to going to your local record store or whatever. Exactly. Not, not that I'm promoting that, but that is what we will likely do. But if you can, please go to your local record store. If you can't find it on a foreign yeah, site. <laughs> so Mark Randolph worked at a few companies before ending up at Pure Atria, which was Reed Hastings' company. And so eventually Mark and Reed 
team up. I don't know like how much of this is true, but the story goes that like, you know, Mark was more of a people person and Reed was more of a numbers guy. They team up to create Netflix and um, Mark actually stepped down like pretty soon after he uh, stepped down from CEO in 1999 and was replaced by Reed and he turned to product development and then left the company totally in mm. 2003, a year after Netflix mm. IPO'd. Um, he's fine, you know, he got a lot of money out of that IPO and he sits on many other boards, he's doing his thing. And Reed actually stayed with the company until very recently. He only left a few months ago in January of 2023. So the origin story, a commonly passed around origin story of Netflix that originated with Reed Hastings. He once said that Blockbuster charged him a $40 late fee when he was renting Apollo 13, and this made him so annoyed and angry that he decided to create Netflix. I gotta see what happens to Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah. Because... I rewound it even when I brought it back. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. Um, but Mark Randolph has a different version of the story. Basically, in 1997, Mark and Reed were both about to be out of a job um, at Pure Atria because of the rational software acquisition, acquisition of the company. And he says that the two kind of put their heads together, they got along, and they were like, we want to build the Amazon.com of something. So remember, I mean, now Amazon is sells you everything. But back then, yeah. Amazon was basically the online seller of books. So Amazon was the Amazon of books. They wanted to be the Amazon of something else. Um, and this also so they just picked movies by random like they could have done they could have done uh, you know tires so this story is a little bit more plausible than you know Reed's late fee story because Netflix didn't even do the no late fee thing until about a year and a half in so it was probably just a nice marketing story to like give mm -hmm. a fuck you to Blockbuster yeah um, so Netflix is born. Remember, this is the early days of online shopping. So the Netflix team had to build out all the basic functions. And of course, they used Oracle as the foundation mm -hmm. for their back end. Surprise, surprise. But yeah, they needed to database everything. They need to find out, you know, what titles are available. How many mm -hmm. copies do we yeah. have? They made a search tool where you could look up movies based on actors, based on directors. Um, they created a ratings feature. And then even the concept of ringing up transactions on the internet was relatively new. So they had to build all this stuff. So it was the early days of online shopping, but it was also the early days of the DVD format. This format was brand new. We were still mm -hmm. in the VHS era, right? And for any kids out there listening... A VHS is <laughs> <laughs> two spools of tape. <laughs> you have to rewind it. <laughs> um, but anyway, so DVD is obviously way better to ship than a VHS, way thinner. But not a lot of people had DVD players. So, you know, from a movie studio perspective, there wasn't really a rush. There was no reason for them to put movies on DVDs because no one had them. And then from the customer perspective, it's like, why am I going to buy a player if most of these movies are on VHS? So DVD, the technology was out there, but it wasn't really um, popular mm. yet. Definitely in um, this house, we have a couple VHS tapes I really want to really? throw away. Oh, sick. Are but, they like yeah. home videos or are they like movies? We digitized everything. If you don't, if you don't have your family shit digitized, you got to run out and do that right now. Anyway... <laughs> After feature testing and library building, Netflix finally goes live in 1998. And actually, um, funny point, 
to make is that on launch day, Reed Hastings came in and some employees like didn't even know who Reed Hastings was. They were like, who the fuck is this guy? Because Mark Randolph was really the one like actually they're building the company. Like, I'm the numbers guy. Yeah. Well, Reed was pretty much the money in the early days when they were actually building out the site and everything like Mark Randolph was the one in the trenches with the people and Reed Hastings was just like, did the check clear? Okay, you guys good? All right, fine. So Netflix goes live in 1998 and um, it's obviously different <laughs> than the Netflix we know now. It was basically you rent DVDs for a week and d- different DVDs had different rental fees. So like some would be $4, some would be $5. Um, maybe you got a deal if you rented four or more, but there wasn't like a, a monthly subscription. It was like per DVD, there was a rental fee. The servers crashed almost immediately because so many people went to Netflix.com at once. And the printer for the return labels jammed because so many new orders were flying in. You can never count on a printer. (laughs) Even today, you can't. (laughs) Yeah, you'd think we'd have nailed that technology down by now. So yeah, in 1998, Mark and Reed actually considered selling Netflix to Amazon. They went and met with Bezos and... According to Mark, they were offered something between $14 million and $16 million. And apparently he thought that was reasonable, but Reed didn't want to sell, so they didn't. And In yeah. 2000, he did try to sell to Blockbuster. for. He was like, $50 million, it's a great price. And then uh, Blockbuster turned him down. Turned him down, and that's yeah. the history of Blockbuster 10 years later. Yeah, it's kind of bankrupt. funny, though, because Blockbuster is this crazy story of they were the movie rental king, right? And then bankruptcy. And now you're hearing some people, I guess, compare the two companies. We were like, Netflix was really on top for a long time. And now the question has come up, like, are we seeing the decline of Netflix? Netflix the new blockbuster? Let's talk about it. Well, Netflix is already in our home, so Blockbuster didn't make its way in. It just got into our strip malls. Yeah, plus if Netflix expands into the restaurant business, they can just kill the whole movie thing. I mean, (laughs) movies are dead. (laughs) society if netflix sold to blockbuster (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah we would have never known about all these serial killers (laughs) which is yeah i don't know there's also an interesting uh angle on serial killers which is that most of them were trained by the cia but that's a story for another time the big ones the famous Mm -hmm. ones obviously there are murders or they were part of the mk ultra yeah yeah so netflix bills itself as a tech company so it's no longer a movie studio. It's no longer a t- television station. So it can get away with things that TV stations, TV channels, and movie studios cannot get away with. So they can pay their writers very little. They say, well, you're working for a tech company. You're basically like an Uber driver of writers. You're not going to get paid the same amount of residuals, which is like every time a movie plays, you get a certain amount of money. That's not going to happen with streaming. Mm. So Netflix was the real pioneer of paying writers very little in the streaming age. And they also created these mini rooms. So you have writers working totally separate from production. Very few writers would be in charge of like mapping out a whole series. Whereas uh, you would have 12 writers doing that. Usually now you have four overworked Mm. writers and still the content comes out. So what do they care? And you do see like wild spending between 2007 and, you know, about 2020, Netflix is pouring money into into prestigious projects. You could say that Stranger Things and The Crown, those are vestiges of Netflix's old spending. Mm. Like 
um, they were pouring money into these series. And now you can see a lot more cancellations. And the first things to go are going to be the, you know, diverse people. Those shows were the first to go. So Tuca and Birdie was one of those since eight. One of those series, I never watched them, that basically cancel after the second season. Mm -hmm. And what Netflix likes to say is that, oh, the algorithm wasn't working for them. But really, they are the algorithm, and they like to just blame the algorithm. They can decide to bury a show. They can decide to promote a show a lot on the homepage. And these decisions, obviously, they're tech-driven, but they're ultimately made by people. It's really the executives making the decision. And it's just, I guess it's just a coincidence that... TV series really get expensive after the second season yeah. when you you have to when the rates for talent will go up yeah. and the rates for writers will go up. So they're like, oh, uh, the algorithm said that people don't <laughs> like this, but really the algorithm is just showing things that are popular are like nationally popular most of the time. Yeah, and there's actually a really um, funny clip from Barry. Not to plug a Netflix competitor on HBO Max, which is now a Max, small business. by the way. Um, but where they like, they're like, sorry, the algorithm didn't like it. And I'll just insert the clip here. Laugh as if it's funny. <laughs> so good. Anyway. <laughs> okay, I'll actually insert it here. We are canceling the show. What? Why? Well, the algorithm felt it wasn't hitting the right taste clusters. Taste clusters. It's been 12 hours. Don't we need time to get word of mouth? Oh, the algorithm takes word of mouth into account, Mm. but it considers other things too. For instance, if viewers see someone eating dessert within the first two minutes of the episode, they almost always finish the entire season. So this is what happens. I mean, this is not a phenomenon unique to Netflix, but this is what happens when you start mixing the creative process in with profit incentives because it's like, well, the more expensive a show is to renew for another season, it gets taken into, or how expensive a show is gets taken into account when deciding whether or not to renew it, as opposed to, do people like it? As yeah. opposed to, um, you know, is it good, right? Now it's about weighing how many people watch it with how much it costs. And there's so much data now where they can get really granular about what makes sense from a profit perspective. Netflix is constantly pumping out originals that just end after the second season because they don't want to raise the rates for people. Yeah, and sometimes when you're searching through Netflix, you just like see these series that you never knew existed. I did not know Hype House existed, even there's though I would so never watch that. so much content. There's just, yeah, there's so, so much. So much. I spent the whole week with my eyes peeled looking at horrible Netflix content. Thank you for your service. <laughs> We think of ourselves like alchemists. We take in money and out comes joy. Part of their business model was using that 0% interest rate. So after the 2008 crash, there was a, an injection of money into these banks and they would throw money at tech companies that would be high risk, high reward. And the most popular stocks for 10 years um, Netflix was part of those most popular stocks along with Google, along with Apple. And now it's fallen out of favor since 2022. But they used all this easy money around Wall Street to basically throw money and outbid other players like Paramount and Warner Brothers mm-hmm. for certain films. And 
it was such a, a big amount of money that they were, of course, unable to sustain it. Right. And now as they're trimming, all the more creative content is getting trimmed, whereas the, you know, a Marvel movie is much more easy to invest in or the anime live action. Like they're going to stick with IP that's established that they can guarantee money from. So, yeah, there's like a certain segment of the population that will watch anything Marvel. Yeah, so calling themselves a tech company conveniently allows them to get around certain laws. Exactly, yeah. And so there was this um, 1948 court decision, U.S. versus Paramount, that tried to break up these uh, movie studio monopolies um, after World War II. Movie studios basically uh, had exclusive contracts with directors and actors. They owned movie theaters. They required movie theaters to buy their whole slate of films. So say you want like only The Little House on the Prairie, you also have to buy this like stupid spaghetti western that is not going to do very well when Mm. when it's released. And it basically shut out small movie theaters from the movie business. And the U.S. said, okay, enough is enough. Um, movie theaters can no longer be owned by production companies or movie studios. But now we're seeing an era of deregulation since um, not only Netflix, but, you know, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, they're also calling themselves tech companies. And they're also basically production and distributors. And we're seeing these monopolies, oligopolies, you could say, um, solidify whether or not we're going to see regulation in the future is to be seen. Yeah, so calling themselves a tech company does allow them to get around certain laws and regulations. But to be fair, it also is kind of a tech company because the content is delivered over the internet, which again was groundbreaking for its time. Um, Netflix was able to piggyback on the telecoms revolution that helped deliver super fast broadband and the distribution of all this movie and TV was effectively funded by the telecom investment in household broadband subscriptions. So in order to, you know, get a new Netflix customer, you didn't need to convince them to like get a dish set or a top box or whatever the fuck you used to need to watch TV. Like all you needed was an internet connection and a web browser. And you already had the telecom companies um, fueling that distribution, right? Also, Netflix is a tech company because of its heavy reliance on data, on user data. This is like their secret sauce. But because the content was digitally delivered, whenever you're logged in as a user, you're giving Netflix data to work from so they can see your viewing patterns and your behavior. They're going to think I love Is It Cake. (laughs) Yeah, true. We take in money and out comes joy. (laughs) Yeah, your algorithm's probably fucked up because of everything you watched this week yes you watched hype house you watched three episodes of hype house oh my god i cannot erase (laughs) it from my brain you watched is it cake but yeah because you can monitor viewing patterns and behavior in real time you don't need to just like wait for a handful of film critics anymore so this explosion of data is what made netflix more of a tech company and this is also i guess like why a lot of content seems to lack artistry um again this is not unique to netflix but when you reduce artistic things to data, you're going to get reality shows yeah, and gonna... love is blind. Right. And, and uh, you know, we're not here to evangelize. Judge like, we're, yeah, we're not here to like, <laughs> we're not here to judge you. If you like real housewives, um, good for you. I wish I had, 
that kind of joy in my life. Yeah, I don't <laughs> but know. But I just don't. I think it's mostly miserable people that like to watch reality shows. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that more as an indictment of late stage capitalism. Honestly, like, I haven't given it a chance. Like, maybe if I, I watched some of it, I would fall in and get addicted and keep watching. But I, I, I'm so such a judgmental bitch that I never like. I yeah. never gave myself the chance to even dip my toe in that stuff. But probably I would like it if I did. Yeah. And maybe that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, you do have a parasocial relationship with the people on reality shows. Like my yeah. friend who was watching Jersey Shore, like she was just like, oh, look how well this guy's doing. <laughs> I'm proud of I'm him. Proud We've of seen him. him come so far. It's like they're yeah. all your children. <laughs> yeah, and I'm better than those people. I only have parasocial relationships with podcasters. Me? <laughs> we are in the same room. Can you believe it? Like, yeah. this is so outdated. Yeah, they can believe it because they're like, actually, I'm hearing a lot of feedback. <laughs> they're like, yeah, I can hear Michelle on Naomi's mic. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, Netflix originals had some hits. They're Squid Game, House of Cards. But those huge hits are kind of outliers when you think of how much content how much original content Netflix has been pumping out. But that's what they're banking on, you know? Mm -hmm. They're just trying to, it's like, it's a numbers game for them, right? This is not about the fucking artistic process. It's a numbers game. You pump a lot of shit out and then some of it's going to be a hit and those hits are going to pay the bills. Yeah, and that is the business model. They're they're trying to convince investors that, hey, if we spend so much money making this content we have so much more content so much more celebrities in our content than everyone else we're right. gonna push other people out of the game and the recommendation algorithm it, it's pretty fine-tuned you know how like when you go on your netflix homepage, there's thumbnails so those thumbnails could be different she nodded by the way this is an audio episode <laughs> bitch um yeah so like them choosing what the cover art is is based on your behavior as a user. Netflix uses aesthetic visual analysis to, or I'm going to read this thing. This is on a Cornell University blog. If you log into a friend's Netflix account, you'll notice that the thumbnails for the movies and TV shows listed on their account differ from yours. Netflix does this intentionally, and it's an effort to retain its customers' attention and interest. Okay, this is clearly written by a student. Netflix mm -hmm. estimates... <laughs> Not only attention, but also interest. Netflix estimates that they only have up to 90 seconds to grab your attention before you switch to something else. So they find creative ways to grab your attention. And one of the most successful methods to do this is thumbnails. For example, during a one-hour episode of Money Heist, there are roughly 86,000 possible frames from the show that Netflix could choose to use as a thumbnail. So how do they go about this process? The most nudity. <laughs> well, yeah. If you, as a user, if Naomi Caravani, if their data shows that you've been watching a lot of things with nude scenes, then yeah. I don't watch things with nude scenes. Too late. The rumor's already out there. <laughs> Netflix uses aesthetic visual analysis, also known as AVA, to pick the best thumbnails to display to the user. AVA is a set of algorithms that sift through movies and shows on Netflix to identify the best frames to use as thumbnails. If you like Aubrey Plaza, they're going to show you 30 Rock with Aubrey Plaza's face. If you like Amy Poehler, mm. they're going to show you 30 Rock with Amy Poehler's face. So they have different thumbnails for the same yes. shows. Yes. Interesting. Many, okay. many, many different thumbnails. Pretty much everything we do is a recommendation algorithm, including even things like the box art and the hero images. So it's a pretty central part of everything. That's the key. The user can find things easier, faster, or if they can find also something that... How, do, how about they find an employee who could speak English? <laughs> 
What's with all these fucking Europeans? We are taking over the world. And Netflix is reintroducing ads where they promised us we were going to get ad-free stuff. I hate advertisements. I mute them. I get like violently angry. Yeah, I would honestly pay up to $50 a month to keep YouTube premium. No ads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, have YouTube it, premium. Me too. Sure. I'm, I'm sitting, I think it's $10 a month right now. Like, Don't I, tell I pay YouTube. For, it's 120 a year, I think, or something like that, 119 They could raise that a lot before I let go of it. Also, guys, I forgot to mention I was on Netflix. <gasps> Get the fuck. I can't believe you have a Netflix credit and I don't. It's so pathetic. I don't know. I don't know if it counts as a credit. I'm literally on there for like 0.5 seconds. It was that documentary about the college admission scandal. And uh, in the beginning, they show like a compilation of news. This anchors. is a woman who didn't finish college. <laughs> Can you imagine? Look at this, parents. Stop exposing me. <laughs> now she works in social media <laughs> for the rest of her life. But really, those are the only jobs available. So <laughs> you're exposing me to our audience. Like they're supposed to think of me as like learned and credentialed. And <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm- Cut that out. I'm an expert. We both I'm a finished college. Expert. I have finished college in Naomi, fewer years. Naomi has a fucking master's degree. Also, I'm it was not, the third master's not, program I went to, by the way. Yeah, isn't that nuts? I also want to clarify I'm not a college dropout. I'm on a gap year. And it's your small minded concept of what a year is. Sometimes it's a decade. That's limiting you. Yeah. But I mean, I like studied archaeology in college. It's like literally. That's totally fake. i i yeah i was like and picking honestly, trash i was learning how to pick trash she has a degree in digging <laughs> i found a lot of rocks <laughs> <laughs> and a scorpion um in the jordanian desert uh, we don't need to get into this let's let's we're never gonna finish i'm this kind episode. of interested <laughs> um I'll, yeah I we'll talk like about your it. academic career another day no, dude. Yeah, I I have fun stories, but I'm sure there will be a place where it's like related. Okay, perfect. Remember Netflix used to have Friends on it and yeah. Seinfeld and The Office. Wait, Seinfeld is still on it. Oh, okay. It used to have Friends. It used to have The Office. Yeah, but then it, it, I mean, the way that it rose to prominence was through a lot of these library deals because. At the time, uh, a lot of these studios didn't have their own streaming service. So, yeah, why not sell their content to Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. But now they're they're like, wait, we could also host this on our own streaming service. Why would we, you know, give all this ammunition to the competition? But you're bringing up a really important idea, which is that Netflix was really the first streamer. Um, there was virtually no competition during its rise in the 2000s like from 2000 to 2010 and that's really how they got so big and actually it's funny because blockbuster could have caught up with netflix if they wanted to they probably could have um because they had this like total access feature which would have been a competitor to netflix but instead um this new ceo came in and he kind of like decided to double down on the traditional dvd sales and killed the total access product and so yeah netflix had 
pretty much no competitors when it was growing at the beginning. The only and also, re- yeah, it was the golden age of tech when all these investors were throwing money at Uber and all these kind of tech companies that were promising to revolutionize something. Yeah, exactly. And this is the beauty of getting all that investor money because you don't even need to turn a profit in the beginning. You can just focus on growing your customer base, growing your library. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, 1999, Netflix closed the year with a $28 million loss. So it's not like making money, but it's all about, hey, one day we're going to start making a ton of money once we get everyone watching Netflix. So anyway, like I was saying, Netflix had virtually no competitors um, when it was growing at the beginning. And the only real opponent was Redbox at the time, um, which... Who box? <laughs> not to be confused with what box, which was uh, yeah, one of what... the Google early names of the Google product, search product. Which, remember, they said sounded like Webbox. A little bit too much, but then it's like, where was Sergey Brin's head in a um, black box? So yeah, Netflix had virtually no competitors, but eventually Amazon creates a streaming product. They launch Amazon Instant Video in 2006. You can purchase something, you can watch it uh, whenever you want, however many times you want to, as long as you did purchase it. Um, and at first, this is not really a competition for Netflix because Netflix wasn't offering purchases, but eventually, you know, that grew into Amazon Prime Video and we know that it would and be. And the rest is history. They poured $100 million into uh, Lord of the Rings yeah. series that got pretty much no eyeball, eyeball, that got pretty oh, much I didn't know that. Amazon did a Lord of the Rings series. Eyeball. See, you didn't even know about it. <laughs> it's not, I'm not the target demographic for that, though. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, Prime Video is is huge now. Um, And I think Amazon bought something. I think it bought MGM. Um, Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. I'm right. Okay. Amazon closes its $8.5 billion acquisition of MGM. That's March 2022. So, I mean, whatever. We'll talk about Amazon another time. But basically, all the giants are eating each other. And they're all, you know, there's going to be one media company in like five years. I think uh, for most of my life, like we would all joke about how like, you know, six six conglomerates own all of the media in the US. But I think now it's five with the merger of Viacom CBS. Take two because they did that once already and then they split up. And now they're five back companies. But you need still like 16 subscriptions to see everything <laughs> your friends are talking about. And it's like, I just don't have that kind of money. So right. sorry, Ted Lasso, I'm not watching. Right. But before there were all these different streaming services, there was only Netflix. But the first real competition to Netflix in the streaming space came from NBC Universal and News Corp. These two companies announced Hulu in 2007 and mm-hmm. launched it a year later in 2008. And that was the official debut of Hulu, March 2008. Um, this is a big deal, right? Because Hulu was the first time there was a real threat to Netflix because Hulu had the advantage of kind of being this offshoot of these huge conglomerates with their own content studios, with all of this content that they wouldn't have to, you know, go shop around for. There's like all the Fox brands, like Fox, FX, like, yeah, all the 20th Century Studios, which was then 20th yeah. Century Fox. Then NBC had all of its shows. They got a lot of great shows. FX is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. yeah. They really, I, I like FX too. Um, and then also Disney Studios announced a stake in Hulu in 2009. So you have all of these like major owners of content and all of this great IP. Um, coming up with the first competition to Netflix called Hulu. Netflix wasn't part of a larger conglomerate like Hulu, so it was kind of at a disadvantage. Content studios, all these companies are probably going to favor sending their content to Hulu, who who they have this partnership with, than to Netflix. Mm. Didn't they start with ads? 
Yeah, they did start with ads. Um, so that was they were like, yeah, we're gonna try to make money a little bit in the beginning. Because well, they, Hulu still has that an ad tier. Yeah, it annoyed people because it's like, okay, well, why am I paying for this? But it also kind of made sense because it was kind of a different product than Netflix. Whereas, like, at least in the early days before Netflix had all these originals that would just you know drop a whole season at once. With Netflix, you would kind of have to wait to get new episodes. Like if something aired on TV, then maybe a year, two, three years later, it would get on Netflix. Whereas mm-hmm. Hulu, um, you could watch something air on TV, or if you missed it, you could watch it like 24 hours later on Hulu. Like mm-hmm. it would have a premiere. And I think they also did this thing where it was like, so like let's say there's five episodes out in a season, there are all, all five of those are out, and then like the sixth one comes out, and then the first one is no longer available to watch. So you almost have to like keep up with it. Get people to sign in. On a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like almost like basically like TV again because like you're watching ads and um, you've got to catch it when it airs kind of. Yeah. The window's bigger. And Netflix was like, we we don't need ads because we have all this investor money and pay. We just make subscribers pay as little as so they believe they're getting something of quality and they didn't really need to turn a profit. But Hulu went in there and was like, we're going to we're gonna need ads they had the foresight and then netflix Mm. was like no no no, we'll never have ads and now they're okay we're gonna have ads (laughs) but also i mean hulu in another sense didn't need to to turn a profit super quickly because they're part of these larger conglomerates that have so many other streams of businesses nbc like is not relying on hulu to keep the lights on right um but yeah, it was probably smarter to make sure that all streams of business were profitable. So I wonder. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, honestly. I'm not going to look into Hulu's financials because you you told me that I had a, uh, I hit my cap on things that I want to look up. <laughs> but if I didn't hit that cap, I would go see what year Hulu started turning profit. But anyway, um, so someone else do that and DM us. Cargo Cold Pod <laughs> on all platforms. We haven't posted anything yet, but we will soon, I swear. So yeah, by 2010, um, Netflix had almost as many subscribers as Comcast. Um, 2010 is also the year that Netflix closes this $800 million deal with Lionsgate, Paramount, MGM, right? This is before Amazon bought MGM, obviously. Mm. This is like the talk of the town in the media industry, this $800 million deal with Netflix, because it's actors and directors everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean in all different parts of North Hollywood. We're like, we're like some even in West Hollywood. (laughs) I don't even know if that's the right thing to say. North Hollywood is that where they live. They're like, do we need to start thinking about Netflix residuals? Like, do we need to start thinking about Netflix in terms of how we're being compensated? Maybe I need to start uh, taking Netflix seriously. We're here. And that's why okay, you have the 0% interest rates. Basically, you can borrow money with, uh, you know, basically no cost to pay it back. That creates a business incentive or actually no business incentive. It just allows companies to spend big just Mm -hmm. to control markets and not necessarily turn a profit. And then later um, in 2022, you start to see uh, that kind of spigot turn off. Netflix is no longer able to pour money into things. It starts cracking down on password sharing. It starts uh, thinking about ads. But yeah, you kind of see Netflix scrambling now. Um, In April of 2022, they lost 200,000 subscribers. um, And that was their first huge loss in over a decade. You saw the stock drop about 70% and their market valuation tanked as well from $300 billion 
to under 90 billion in less than a year and that was 2022 let me see what their market valuation is now can i please 192 192 billion but they're 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 back up up there they're They're close to shell they're valued higher than raytheon right now so the people who are valuing companies definitely think like netflix is a real company a real company that will you know make a profit and will be able to Mm. you know sustain itself yeah over the long term i mean it's no faker than any other publicly traded company though they're all fake i mean they're just all valued on projections fake we think you're fun- a bunch of fakers. it's funny though but now if you google um callback remember our google episode guys <laughs> <laughs> now if you google or i'll say rather now if you do a web search about the fall of netflix there is a show called Fall on Netflix. It came out like a couple months ago. You know, this past year, everyone's talking about it. Are we witnessing the fall of Netflix? Netflix's rise and fall. Mm-hmm. And now when you look up fall of Netflix, it's like how to watch fall on Netflix in 2023. Fall <laughs> oh. sequel in the works at Netflix. Does the Hype House Netflix's 2 take over the Hype House explained. 1? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So we actually, we did watch the Hype House, the worst rated show. Yeah, it was the worst rated show ever on Netflix. Damn. So we decided to watch that for you guys so we would have something to report about the worst rated show on Netflix. And it's a bunch, it is the most vapid content that has ever been created. Yeah. But, well, there's so much I mean, it's a reality show, yeah. About TikTok stars who have pretty much no charisma. It's just a house of teenage men and two of their girlfriends. And yeah, one trans woman. It is, but it's it mostly a about weird. a bunch of young men. They live in this giant mansion and their rent is paid for by the brand deals that they do on the Hype House TikTok account and other social medias. But like, come on, we know the lion's share is happening on TikTok. We watched the first episode and the interviews, like the confessionals that they do are shot in like an abandoned school bus, like completely inexplicably. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing. Um, But yeah, it's basically about rich teenagers that you watch and you're like, fuck, they have so much money. They have more money than I will ever have. And frankly, who am I to hate on them because they figured something out? Yeah, we should be following their lead. My favorite part was one of the boyfriends is like to the girlfriend. He's like, do you want to take the Rolls Royce or the G-Wagon? She's like, (laughs) G-Wagon, G-Wagon. He's like, nah, Rolls Royce. Yeah, it has something in common with these shows like White Lotus. Like you're just, you know, dangling shiny things in front of people. Like look at the life, the lives of the rich and famous. And yeah, that's, feel, feel like you're, yeah, you could, if you don't have it, it's like, okay, the economy's doing so bad. Everybody's living paycheck to paycheck. What do they want to relax to? They want to vibe out yeah. to watching, you know, millionaires. And billionaires hang out in an L.A. house and, like, talk about how there might be another house (laughs) that might threaten them. Yeah, yeah, one of them was, like, um, is one of them, Chase, is, like, breaking away from the Hype House and lives in another house and he wanted the Hype House to pay his rent and that's, like, I guess the major conflict in that episode. Well, yeah, I guess we do get a, a little peek behind the curtain of the financials of being a TikTok star. But, I mean, oh it is God. sad. I mean, honestly, it was it, really sad. It made me sad. They're doing better than I ever will financially. Like, I'm not saying, you know, we need to feel bad for them. But to an extent, like, they their whole lives are based on just creating content so that brands 
can advertise their products for them. Mm-hmm. And they are like nothing but a vessel for these brand deals. I'm not feeling bad for them. They're no coal miners, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, they're fine. Uh, yeah, but some it's of them like, are like, it's doing... so dystopian. And like, yeah. it, it's, I'm not like, oh my God, they work so hard. They're so exhausted. But like, it is a really sad state of affairs. The depth of conversation is about what you'd get on Is It Cake? Like, it looks cakeish. It's like the guy's like, I like to put makeup on. Like, that's what men are talking about. Now I sound like, now Literally. I sound like a right winger. Like, masculinity is been- <laughs> masculinity is dying. I, <laughs> you, you write like a Vice article. Like, I watched episode one of High Pass, period. Here's why masculinity is dying in the <laughs> yeah. United States. <laughs> Yeah, too many pretty boys. So yeah, you've got High Pass on Netflix. You've also got that Obama thing. Yeah. They they had a deal with Obama. What was that 80 about? $80 million dollars Obama w- received from Netflix so that he could interview working people, some of whom work for uh, Uber Eats that, you know, he helped create the gig economy that these people are now enslaved to. Yeah, and he's and like, he's isn't just... it great? <laughs> well, he's like, not... I helped the banks get even bigger after 2008. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. No, but he's trying to present himself as like uh, that he has compassion for these working people who are like fucking oh, wait, on so their the, feet. Wait, so the gig economy is portrayed it's... negatively? Yeah. No, f- the gall. No fucking way he did yeah. that. Yeah. That is you so thought, insulting. You thought he was going to be I thought he like, was like parading around like, look at how great it is to, you know, have the flexibility of working for Uber and not having any benefits. But no, he was negatively portraying the gig economy. I mean, you thought that he was going to be like ideologically consistent. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Yeah. What, what did you expect? <laughs> that's on me. I don't know what I expect from a U.S. president. Yeah, we don't talk about the revolving door between Uber and the Obama administration, not like in the media that we produce. Like, well, how great would it be if like one of the one of the workers that he was talking to just looked at him <laughs> And was like, so about the drone program. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, so did Citigroup actually pick your cabinet? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I bet they were not paid as much as the uh, TikTok stars to appear in a Netflix docuseries. Oh, no, they were not paid at all. They probably got lunch maybe was provided. Yeah. Well, isn't it? There's a thing where it's like unethical to pay people if you're filming a documentary. And I was once asked by a certain organization to be part of their documentary, um, which may or may not be related to Hillary Clinton. And they did not <laughs> offer me any money to perform my stand-up and have it filmed and be. Wow. Yeah. But I also want to talk about the, I guess, the general like content fatigue that everybody is experiencing. Totally. Like, I always feel like when I turn on Netflix, like I'm going to be disturbed. Like, if I get some original content, it's not going to be fulfilling in any sort of way. It's like, well, we made you feel something and it's bad. Yeah. It's usually like, you know, murder. And I, uh, of course, I love some classic true crime. Okay. I think this says more about your algorithm. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I'm not getting murder on my Maybe own you page. don't live with a significant other. <laughs> so that explains so you're it. constantly fantasizing. But I do feelings. think like as the... As the content gets shittier and shittier, like, are just, like, lives will... <laughs> I really do think that marriages will end based on 
what Netflix is offering. Yeah. Just like, oh man, like we have to watch another celebrity like slowly spiral out and then die of a drug overdose. Like it's it's only going downhill from here, content wise. I mean then again though, TV's been really good lately, but never on Netflix. Although I did like beef. But, and and the Black Mirror episode we yeah. watched that kind of makes fun of Netflix. Yeah, it's like about a streaming service that is pretty much Netflix. Yeah, content that it even AI has like wrote. the font of Netflix. Yeah, no, it's Stream very Barry. obviously Netflix. And also Black Mirror is exclusive to Netflix, so that's definitely what it's about. And yeah, it's about AI writing a TV show. And honestly, just watch it. It's really good. I like that. And like every now and then, you know, there is something good on Netflix. But then like it, that stuff is also swimming in a documentary about Meghan and Harry. Yeah. That just paints them as victims. Yeah. These poor celebrities with so much money, power, and access. They are the victims. They of... were chased in yeah. New York City. Oh, my God. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I think... They were chased in like bumper to bumper traffic. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah, but then also, all... yeah, but then everyone came out and said that didn't happen. Yeah. Everyone but them was like, that's not an accurate depiction of the events. You could even like just even the cab the traffic that day. Yeah, exactly. No, they were clearly trying to create some sort of news event that paralleled what happened to Diana. They Steel just want to be Diana rele- Valor. Yeah, I mean, they just want to be fucking relevant so bad. But the age of the royals, I mean, I think that's enough, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, the crown is like, still I coming. Think we're out good with on stuff. that. <laughs> but um, oh, you know, I barely talked about the workplace. I think the drama I'd want to see is what's going on in Netflix headquarters. Because yeah. I mean, the the company has this culture and and everybody in silicon valley lauds the netflix model like workers we're not family we're team so like because a family implies unconditional love Mm -hmm. and you're not supposed to support anybody you think is not doing a good job so one of the most famous things out of that uh out of the business model that reed hastings published in a book was the keeper test like if this person were to get fired how hard would you fight for them if not at all you got to fire them so Mm. if people would get fired at a moment's notice you were not allowed to talk to the person who was being fired because that would put a target on your back Mm. and one netflix executive said it was good that people came to work every day fearing that they'd be fired because fear drives you and so true later she said that she didn't make that remark but (laughs) she was like you know i rethought it and that doesn't sound so good i should have consulted pr next day she's fired yeah (laughs) yeah so uh the keeper test uh, that would uh, help make one of my jokes in the top <laughs> make sense because I was like, oh, your waiter at the Netflix restaurant, like mid shift, is fired, so somebody else takes over your table. <laughs> so when Netflix has a restaurant, like, hi, I'm your new server, Carrie, because your last server, Linda, was shit canned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like mid the next shift. course comes, it's like, hey, I'm your server, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> And then, yeah, Michael Sarah brings the dessert. <laughs> Damn, they're really pumping money into this restaurant, doing anything so the money goes to somebody other than writers. And then another popular tactic is sunshining at the company, where mm. um, if you made a mistake, 
you would have to talk about it in front of all the executives at Netflix. Oh my god! And one Korean Shame former employee activated. Yeah, one Korean former employee said that in the Singapore office, she was reminded of the culture in North Korea, where mothers had to publicly criticize their sons, supposedly, allegedly. <laughs> And um, this is not an audible reaction, but she is burying her head in her hands. I have a lot of thoughts on that. But, but yeah, also, I mean, I think it's, it activated. speaks to something that like even the imagined version of North Korea is what the culture of Netflix is actually like. Yeah. So that's sun shining. Yeah. I, so is that a term that Netflix came up with? I never heard mm. that before. Reed Sunshining. Hastings came up with it. Sunshine. And so when... Sounds way better than what it is. Some Sounds executives great. had taken some of her team to get their hair done and bought makeup on the company's dime. Mm. Mr. Hastings asked this executive to sunshine what she did in front of dozens of top executives. Mm. But she also said... Hey, if it were men going out bowling, drinking, and having dinner, that wouldn't be an issue. So she's it became like, an equity thing. She, <laughs> that bitch knows how to lean in. It wasn't embezzling. Look how good this I look. This is a women's <laughs> issue. I totally support getting hair and makeup on the Netflix dime. I mean, you're a media company. Everybody's got to look good, even the executives. Another thing that other tech companies look at Netflix and say, damn, they're doing this so well, is transparency, supposedly. In, um, in the golden age years, you know, when they're pumping out all this content, zero interest, money, um, they said that you could ask executives any kind of question. And they had like a live um, open Google Doc where you could ask executives certain questions. And then people had some problems with the content, mostly things that were um, offensive to trans people, not only Chappelle's uh, comedy specials, but also um, some movies that came I mean, out. Anything and they from were, the 90s. Yeah, anything from the 90s. So some employees would be like, well, what's your line between entertainment and hate speech? Right. And okay, I might not agree on every point of criticism of Chappelle, but I do think like employees should be able to voice their dissent. And they yeah. immediately fired a lot of people following the trans workers walk out after yeah. the Dave Chappelle specials. You know, comedy specials are a really ch cheap thing to produce. It's cheaper than a movie. You have more eyeballs on it. And yeah, 30 million to Dave Chappelle, that's not that much money when you think about 200 million going to the the gray man. Yeah. The Ryan Gosling CIA film, but so it's interesting that that Black Mirror started out with her firing somebody and yeah. then getting fired herself because that's something that would happen, happen on Netflix. Yeah. So if you were a manager who didn't fire somebody in quickly enough, you also had your head on the chopping block. Everything Netflix is about could be explained in that Black Mirror episode. I think the episode called Joan is awful. Basically, it starts with. An executive. She fires somebody, then she goes about the rest of her day. So she goes to her therapist's office. She meets up with her old ex-lover. We find out that she's married. They get home. They have their regular normal, like, you know, normal couple evening. And then they decide to wind down by watching some Streamberry. They start, yeah, they Streamberry just, and chill. It's that time of the night. 
And as they turn it on, they get to the Netflix homepage and they see that the homepage has something called Jonah's Awful. Oh, her name is Joan. Forgot to mention. So Joan sees a show called Jonah's Awful and it has someone who's wearing what she wore that day at the office in the episode. Has her same hair. Has her same hair, but only difference is it's Salma Hayek instead of her. And she's like, what the fuck is this? My name is Joan. And her husband's like, huh, let's just see what it is. Like, they start watching it, and it's basically a replay of her day. So you see her fire someone, then you see her go to the therapist, and then she kind of realizes that you're about to see her go cheat on her husband. She's like, uh, (laughs) can we turn this off? And the husband's like, what the fuck? He leaves in a rage. And also, yeah, one part where she was like, complaining that her husband's food was bland even though his name oh, is right. krish and he's indian i'm like oh okay way to make things interesting and she's <laughs> white yeah so before the reveal that she's cheating we have the even bigger betrayal of her not liking his cooking and yeah. that's what starts to get him a little pissed off and then he finds out she's cheating he leaves in a rage she's like no please stop it's just a tv show yeah she said. i didn't really do that and he's like let me see your phone and she's like uh it's inside and he leaves and then she goes back inside and the show's still going and you see the TV her chase the husband. The husband gets in the car. He's like, let me see your phone. She's like, no, it's inside. So you get it. It's like following her around. Um, With like a little added text as if it's... Yeah, it's like a dramatized version of what happens. And the lines are like a little bit more cartoonish, I would say. Yeah. In the uh, Streamberry version of her reality. So she's like, what the fuck? Um, next day she goes into work. Obviously, everyone's looking at her because they all saw this new show on Streamberry. And um, her assistant's like, yeah, so you're fired. Yeah. yeah, you're fired. Basically, what we saw on Joan is Awful showed that you had like... You violated your NDA. And you she's like, that wasn't me. NDA. That was Salma Hayek. Oh, too bad. You've got to go. So she gets fired. And she, I guess, falls back into the arms of her ex-lover, the one that she was cheating with. And they start hooking up and then he's kind of like, mm, I feel weird about this because like, is this going to be on TV? Like, bleh, I'm trying to And then she starts next. to try to figure out how can I end this? Right. And basically so where she, she goes doesn't the know legal route. is, yeah, yeah, she's like, I'm talking to my lawyers. I'm trying to figure out. But it's like you signed all the terms and conditions for all the, the, the devices in your apartment. So they have all that information. So basically she finds out that this is an AI created show And the data is being captured from all of her devices in her apartment. And she agreed to it. And there's a scene with the lawyer where the lawyer's like, I hate to put it this way, but like, it's pretty airtight. There's nothing you can do. They got your I guess we have to read the terms and conditions going forward. Streamberry has you. She's like, okay, there's no legal recourse for me. Let me see how I can do this another way. So she tries to end the show by doing like the least advertiser friendly behavior. So she like dresses up as a cheerleader, drinks a a bunch of laxatives and takes a a giant dump in the middle of a wedding in a church. Like as they're saying their vows. She's like, nice. Salma Hayek's going to hate this. The show's going to end because Salma Hayek would never sign away the rights to have her face be used in this manner. Little does she know, Salma Hayek also has no legal recourse. So then it cuts to Salma Hayek in the room with her lawyer. And the lawyer's like, sorry, you you signed yeah. on all of this. And yeah. And then she's like, how could you desecrate the church? My yeah. my not, my grandma is a nun and she's going to die when she sees this. And they're also like, you didn't read the contract. And she's like, I'm dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that. She's That's like, funny. I'm a dyslexic foreign comedian with questionable English. That's like, really funny. what do you expect from me? Right, well, so Samahai goes to Joan's apartment and they're both like, we got to stop this. Neither of them want the show to continue. They're both 
pissed. So they concoct this plan to go to Streamberry's uh, server room and like take it down by force. Finally, they're in the server room. Like literally, uh, she has like a sledgehammer. She has something. She's it's literally axe. raising it, about to destroy it. And then like the Streamberry exec runs in and she's like, no, don't do it. If you do that, like you're going to be killing like all these versions of people. It's, it's so convoluted, convoluted at the end. But yeah, yeah I think but the basic the- concept for the show is good, which is that like, it gets you know, this company has the yeah. all your data. Well, yeah, it's just so convoluted. Like, basically, like reality. the executive explains that like you're actually not even Joan. The real Joan is a regular person. I feel like that we don't need to talk about the end. Oh, okay, yeah, go watch it to find out the end. No. <laughs> we're we're doing this. This whole episode is an ad for Netflix. <laughs> no, I think it's just the original concept is like kind of a mirror on Netflix. Yeah, and you know what? We can frame it this way. We can say that we're not giving, we're not spoiling it for you. They put a pretty bow on it and it ends happy and everyone lives happily ever after. They destroy the servers and they're back to reality and now life is good again. I think it should have ended in a way where it's like you really have no recourse and this corporation's power is so much larger than yours that she now has to live in this forever. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a depressing ending, but I think it's it's more eerie and I, 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 th- I would have liked that. Yeah, um, I would have liked that too. Had more of like a punchy I ending to, to be see like, "Sound the Hayek suffer more." But what options. I want to know, yeah, is is it cake? Oh.